afternoon. Today's reading is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. Just going to move this back just a touch. Here we go. See my notes. Well, we're about to turn a corner in the book of Acts. These first four chapters have described the formation of the first church, the church in Jerusalem. After the resurrection, Jesus has appeared over the course of 40 days to his disciples. He's promised them the Holy Spirit. They've then received that outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And that day, 3,000 have been added to their number. Then Luke has given us a first summary. And in that summary of what was happening in the church, he emphasized the unity of the believers, the miraculous signs that have been done through the apostles and the sharing with one another that was going on in the first church. The, then the believers begin gathering regularly in homes and in the temple courts and one day on the way to the temple Peter and John encounter a blind man who is healed by God and Peter teaches on this in the temple. Peter and John are then taken before the Sanhedrin and they're ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. On their release and return to the church, they uh, pray with the church, a, a really significant prayer for the book of Acts. In particular, they pray, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We've, of course, have been praying that prayer at the beginning of our sermons as we've gone through Acts so far. And that then leads to Luke's second summary where he focuses again on the unity of the believers and on their sharing everything that they have with one another. He then gives us the example of Barnabas, and then the negative example of Ananias and Sapphira who choose to keep back 
a part of what they said they had shared. Now, Luke gives us his third summary statement, a statement that will describe the state of the church and the state of the mission which Jesus gave to the church. Following this, persecution is going to begin. And we'll see the church scattered and the gospel beginning to go out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. These summaries in Acts chapters 2 and 4 are more about the community of the church than they are about the mission. But after this third summary, we'll find the whole book of Acts is more about the mission that God has given than it is about any specific community. Now, we've been given our example of the formation of a true Christian community. Shortly, we're going to see more and more of these Christian communities coming into existence wherever the Spirit places believers. So this summary is the last one describing the character of the Jerusalem church. And we'll see that their character is being defined by that prayer that they prayed for signs and for boldness, the prayer that they prayed back in Acts chapter 3. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. I'm just going to read five verses today. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them, as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A brief word of prayer. Lord, we would ask that you would sprinkle our minds with the blood of Jesus that we would hear clearly what you have to say to us. Lord, cleanse my tongue that I would only say what you want said and nothing that you don't want said. We ask that this would be a transformative word for some and an important word for all of us as we encounter you in your word again today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, Luke describes two responses to the church in these uh, five short verses. In the following verses, he's going to give us a third response, that of jealousy, which leads to persecution. But in these five verses, he focuses on the two most prominent responses to the presence of God at work among the believers in Jerusalem. Interest and involvement. All of those who've been open to the church and its message throughout all the centuries have responded in one of those two ways. There are those who are interested in what's happening, but not involved. Crowds that gather, 
to see what's going on, but who are not converted. Those who seek to benefit from the church, but who refuse to belong to it. Those who attend, but don't join. And there are those who, despite any initial misgivings they might have, any fear, are added to the church, are involved, not simply interested, come to belong to the church because belonging to the church is more important than benefiting from it. And the challenge that this final summary of the church in Jerusalem presents us with is whether we are merely a member of this crowd or whether we're actually a convert, whether we are here in the hope that we might benefit or whether we really seek to belong. John Stott says the presence of the living God, whether manifest through preaching or miracles or both, is alarming to some and appealing to others. Some are frightened away, while others are drawn to faith. Luke begins by telling us that the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, this obviously is a direct answer to their prayer for more signs of God's presence, and surely it's our prayer too. We want to pray for more of the Holy Spirit, we want to pray for more evidence of the Lord's presence and work among us. We want to pray for greater boldness in our witness uh, for Christ. We want to pray that many would be added uh, to our Christian community. But we have to be aware that this will provoke conflict with the world around us. Now, it's worth noticing here that um, the NIV, I think, the NIV translation can be a little bit misleading. Uh, it says the, the apostles performed many signs. Well, really, the emphasis isn't on the apostles here. These signs were performed through the apostles, not by the apostles, literally through the hands of the apostles. In other words, it is God revealing his presence. He is in control, not the church. Uh, all the believers here are united to. They're of one mind. Uh, they, again, it's easy for us to read, uh, used to meet together, all the believers used to meet together, but there's an emphasis here on their actual unity, their, their single-mindedness as a group. And advancing in God's purposes as a church requires that kind of unity. That's a repeated emphasis in Acts and in Paul's letters, as well as by Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, the significance of our unity as believers. So these are the actions of the church that Luke sets before us. The apostles engaged in signs and wonders and the believers gathering together in unity. And Luke tells us that these things were done in full view of the people of Jerusalem. They were done in the temple precincts, in Solomon's colonnade. And then Luke tells us how the people of Jerusalem responded to all of this. And the first response is fear. Verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. 
Why do you think people were afraid to join the believers as they met in Solomon's colonnade? I had the privilege of dropping in on a Bible study group that I'm not normally a part of this last week. And uh, immediately, uh, you could see the, the ideas coming. Why would the people be afraid to join? Perhaps it was Ananias and Sapphira who just died. That story perhaps got, had got round. Perhaps people knew of the, the disapproval of the Sanhedrin, this order that had been given to Peter and John not to teach in Jesus' name. But I wonder whether more than either of these, Luke is actually saying it was the miraculous signs themselves, the evidence of God's presence and work among them that was keeping people at a distance. People were uncomfortable not because the believers were odd or, or judgmental or unfriendly, all the things that can put people off church today. No, they were uncomfortable because the presence of God was so powerfully at work in the church that there was a fear, an apprehension of what might happen if you got involved with these followers of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I... I long for something of that. Shouldn't we have something of that about us today? The, the presence of a holy God being so real among us that it makes people feel uncomfortable. But even if most people in Jerusalem wouldn't dare to join the believers, Luke does tell us that they still wanted to benefit from God's presence among them. Verse 15 as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. We have to remember, of course, that there were very limited medical treatments available for people who were ill. There were no hospitals. Many people were disfigured and disabled uh, from accidents in their childhood or in their working life. Many were suffering long-term illnesses for which there were no cures. There was no social security, except, of course, for family and friends or the charity of strangers. The desire to experience healing, it seems, was stronger than the fear that people felt. It was totally life-changing if you could become well again. It wasn't just that you, you got better physically or mentally. You were also able to take your place in society again no longer shunned because of your sickness or disability. So Luke describes people in Jerusalem doing the most extraordinary thing. They lay out sick people on mats in the street. And as the apostles, particularly Peter, pass by on their way to worship in the temple, the hope is that they will be healed as his shadow falls on them. Now, there's no account of this happening anywhere in the ancient world. There's no parallel to this in ancient literature, and there's no repeat of this in the New Testament. This is a rumor, isn't it? Someone said, if even Peter's shadow falls on you, you'll be healed. And the whisper has gone round. If you get near to these people, God will heal you. I wonder if the rumor began when Peter was standing talking to the blind man at the beautiful gate. See if you follow me here. Uh, you're, it's okay if you disagree on this. This is speculation on my part. But remember what he says to the man. 
He says, look at us. The man is on the ground. They're standing beside the man. What does that mean? Well, if he looks up, if I look up now, I'm looking straight into those lights. But if Peter was to stand in between, if his shadow fell upon the blind man, then the blind man could, could see. Uh, sorry, the blind man, the lame man could see to speak to him. Well, perhaps somebody in the crowd saw Peter's shadow fall uh, on the man as they spoke. And he went away and he told others that version of events. Who knows? But of course, it's not likely true. And that's why it's never repeated again in the Bible. And there is no record of this approach to healing in the whole history of the church. It's, it's appealing, though. If you want to benefit from what's happening around the church, but you don't want to have to belong to it. You don't have to risk joining the followers of Jesus in Solomon's colonnade. You can just get the blessing as they pass by and their shadow falls on you just by getting close. And I do have a feeling that there are many people in churches today who are there to get close, close enough to get the blessing that they think that they need, but who sadly are missing out on the real blessing, which is the blessing of joining the church. It's much safer to come to church to receive a blessing than it is to join a church and be a blessing. How many people's relationship with the church is like this, I wonder? They hope to benefit, but they're not willing to belong. David Peterson, writing on this chapter, says, Luke doesn't say that Peter's shadow actually had any healing effect but that this was the expectation of the crowds. I wonder how many go away from churches today disappointed that they didn't get the blessing that they were hoping for, not realizing that they never really experienced the church because they never joined. The blessing comes from belonging. Now, it may be that some of those even responding in this strange way were healed. Verse 15 there is very equivocal, but perhaps God in his grace did overshadow people through Peter's shadow. Certainly, Luke goes on to say in verse 16 that crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. You see, some people without belonging without joining, without being added, do receive blessings from God through the church. And they can even be the means by which God's good news is spread to others. The message going out to neighboring towns and villages here. But apart from the church, they cannot really understand the significance of what God has done for them. They think it's just a personal healing, just a private gift for them. They experience healing or, or some other blessing, but they don't realize that this is a sign of the total healing or the much greater blessing that God wants them to experience through Jesus. That their blessing is a sign pointing to the coming of the kingdom. 
Without belonging to the church, they've got no one to teach them the significance of any blessing that they receive from God. And they can be agents of God's mission to others, but because they're not aware that they are, they don't know the wonder of being invited to participate in God's mission in the world. They're blessed by contact with the kingdom, but they don't enter into it. It's one thing to be in the crowd, you see. It's quite another thing to be a a convert and join the community. Crowds gather. Converts are added. Crowds seek to benefit. Converts seek to belong. But the good news is that not everyone in the crowd remains in the crowd. So Luke says in verse 14, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That's more and more is more than ever. In other words, more than the 3,000 we saw belong, uh, be added to the church in Acts chapter 2. More than the 5,000 who are mentioned in Acts chapter 4. And Luke, you'll note, makes a particular point of stating that both sexes were becoming believers. Men's and women's lives were very different. Different education, different place in society, a different voice, very different lives. But the church drew in both sexes equally. And he says, too, that more and more believed, and the believed there is a, it's a present participle. It is, they were believing. In other words, it's continuous. This is not a one-time decision, a, a single expression of faith. People were becoming followers of Jesus on a permanent basis. They were stopping being onlookers, and now they were participants. But I think most important of all is to notice how this was happening. In verse 14, um, men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And that were added there, kept being added, would be a better translation, I think. In other words, they didn't add themselves. They didn't choose to join. Oh, I think I'll come to church this Sunday. It's not that at all. It was God who did the adding. Eckhard Schnabel says it was God himself who caused people to overcome their unbelief, their hesitation, and their fear, and to come to faith in Jesus as Israel's Messiah and Savior. Well, one last point. In the church in Jerusalem, it was very clear who was in and who was not. There were no fuzzy lines here. If you were in the church, you met publicly with the other believers in the temple courts in full view of everyone else. You shared in the blessings and you shared in the risks that this public association with Jesus involved. In the coming passages in Acts chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, we're going to begin to read about the persecution of the church and the risk that it was for people to join the Christian community. In the Western world, as church attendance has declined, churches have been tempted to downplay the the cost of becoming a Christian. But this, of course, isn't the case in other parts of the world. 
In Afghanistan today, it is impossible to live openly as a Christian. Converts from Islam have to leave the country or they'll be killed. In North Korea today, anyone caught following Jesus is at immediate risk of imprisonment, torture, and execution, as are their family members. Something like 60,000 Christians are imprisoned in North Korea's system of prisons and labor camps. In Somalia, Islamic militants target Christians with no fear of reprisals. Similar stories to these are repeated in Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia. In all of these places, sharing the Christian faith and gathering for worship is heavily restricted or outright illegal, and it carries the risk of imprisonment and violent reprisal. Worldwide, more than 360 million Christians live in a country where they are liable to experience significant persecution on account of their faith. In these places, people would not join the church unless they had had a momentous encounter with the living God. And it isn't just persecution that makes it difficult to join the church in many parts of the world. Uh, some years ago, I was traveling in India, visiting friends and missionaries. Uh, one of these friends taught at Serampore College. Uh, that's the college that's uh, famous because it was uh, constructed by William Carey, the uh, Baptist missionary. It was founded in 1818. And I had the privilege of actually staying in the house that Carey built with his own hands. Uh, this is the same William Carey, by the way, that uh, Carey Theological College in our denomination in Vancouver is, is named after. Well, while I was there, I was asked if I would speak to the graduating class of theological students. Uh, this was a group, I think, of about 15 students who were about to qualify as Baptist pastors and who were then going to look for jobs, uh, leading or planting churches really all over India. It was an unforgettable experience talking to this group. We had some fundamental things in common. But there was one way in particular that their experience was totally different from my own. Like me, being called into Baptist ministry meant being called by a congregation to serve as their minister. But for them, if they became unpopular in their church, which of course is common for pastors, because pastors are called to challenge the idolatries and the compromises of their congregations. If they become unpopular in their church and they get voted out, these men would have no social safety net to fall back on. They would be put out of their homes, they would have no income, and their wives and their children could starve. Becoming the, the leader of a church for them was a profoundly risky thing in a way that it was not for me. And the faith of this small group of men is something that I'll never forget. And here in North America, we've, we've done a great disservice to people, I think, by making church too comfortable for anyone and everyone to attend. Now, now don't get me wrong. Everyone is welcome to attend our church. There should be nothing about us that gets in the way of people joining. 
but being added to the church, really joining it, belonging to it, should not be as easy to claim as we sometimes make it. Because in the case of the Jerusalem church, only God was able to add a person to it. If you attend worship services at First Baptist Church and you, you want to know what it is to really belong to this church, but you're feeling a bit cautious about that, that's a good thing. That's how you should be feeling. You're not joining a social club. You're being challenged to participate in God's revolutionary mission to subvert and transform the kingdoms of this world. And only God can add you to that. Amen? Will you pray with me? Let's pray. As you, as you think about the words of this final summary of the first church, will you permit the Lord to enable you to overcome your hesitation and fear? Will you allow the Lord to give you the courage to commit to his church? Whatever the next step of commitment to the church is for you, will you allow the Lord to give you that courage? Lord, as we think about these words, we're struck by this statement that no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Lord, we covet the reputation of being highly regarded by the people of this city. But we also want to experience you so powerfully at work among us that people are hesitant to have anything to do with us. Lord, shape us, we pray, into the church you want us to be for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.